Hey, I want to welcome you to Coastal Community Church's online sermons. And uh, before you watch the sermon, first of all, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to watch. And uh, we do want you to know that uh, this is a tool to encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ, to grow closer to Him and walk with Him. Uh, we, however, at Coastal, hold a deep belief that uh, this should not supplement your attendance at a local church. We believe deeply in a local church. And so while we, uh, this sermon is a, is a supplement for you, we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church, find a local pastor. Uh, if you're in our community, uh, in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to attend with us. We have three services on Sunday morning, 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15, and uh, we'd love for you to join us in one of those services. We're starting a new series at Coastal Community Church called Strength and Courage. And as a church, uh, we're ready to face some challenges of moving to a new location. And with change comes challenge. And so, uh, and while we're excited about the changes coming our way, we want to prepare for it as well. Joshua led the people of Israel to, the new, to a promised land, which had a lot of change and a lot of challenge. And so we feel like there's a lot we can learn from the book of Joshua. And so this fall, we're going to take a journey together. And we're mindful that Joshua is a type of our Savior. Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at Joshua, and through the eyes of Joshua, we're going to look at our Savior, our King, and our leader as He guides us and leads us with strength and courage. Welcome to the new series through Joshua, Strength and Courage. Good morning, Coastal Church. Good to see you guys this morning. Do me a favor, get your Bibles out. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 6. We're going to keep moving forward in our sermon series, Strength and Courage. Thank you, worship team. Great morning of worship through song, wasn't it? And uh, you guys did a great job. So uh, we're going to continue along. There's a handout in your bulletin that'll help you prepare for your small group. If you're not in a small group, not too late. I hope you'll join us for one uh, d- during this series. Uh, we're going to take this series really all the way up to Christmas time, just about. So I uh, hope you'll kind of buckle it up and, and move it along with us. Uh, called this sermon today, Devoted. And, uh, and, and uh, you'll notice on your handout, it says October the 25th. I did not get into my DeLorean and time machine a week early. Okay, that's a typo. So what's, what's today's date? 18th, right? So today's the 18th. So welcome to October 18th. So, uh, you know, I've been, devo- I've been devoted to some strange things in the past. There's some ways that my devotion to sports has taken some strange turns uh, many times. I remember uh, years ago, uh, I, uh, I, I'm a big Seattle Seahawks fan. I, the Seahawks, you almost never get to watch them or listen to them here in this on the East Coast. And so uh, I have uh, annually bought the radio pass that you listen to the game on the computer. And back in the day before computers were mobile, uh, some of y'all don't remember those days. Some of you do. You know, there was this big block thing that you'd sit on your desk. And, and I remember many times I would listen to the Seahawks games with a baby monitor parked in front of the speakers on the desktop so I could listen to the game in another room. Uh, I have actually, uh, again, I'm, I'm showing my age. I was talking to some recent college grads this week, and I was like, back when I was in college, we didn't even have computers. We'd, we did our papers on typewriters. How many of y'all remember that? Right? Okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, typewriters. You know, remember when you made a mistake and you had to backspace and put the whiteout paper and rehit the letter, you know, no highlighting and cut and paste type thing. Uh, but, you know, I remember uh, di- uh, video, I almost said DVR, taping video games on a VHS tape, turning off all the phones so as not to get any calls from your buddies, you know, and, and watching games that way. I-, I remember one time I had a job interview at a church in Michigan. This was probably... 
uh, I don't know, 20 years ago. And uh, it was actually Michael Jordan's last game as a Chicago Bull. And I remember rearranging my flight schedule so that I could get home in time to watch his game against the Utah Jazz. You know, I've done some crazy things to be devoted to my sports teams. This morning, I want to challenge us as a church. We're going we're gonna to talk about the idea of, of being devoted. And this is a great story. If you're new uh, to church life, uh, you've probably heard this story even in our culture. It's, it's permeated our culture. And I want to challenge us to be de- devoted to our Lord and devoted to what our Lord is devoted to. And he's devoted to his church. His church is moving forward to spread the name and, and fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, this morning, uh, and we've kind of kind of gone through a little bit of, of Old Testament history as we've done this series. And last week, we talked about how um, Joshua runs into what some of your Bible texts will call the angel of the Lord, or what I, I labeled last week as the pre-incarnate Christ, and, and, and he bows in worship. And, the, and this being receives the worship of, of Joshua. And we talked about how the, the Jordan was now behind the people of Israel. And Jericho, the first city or Canaanite village, was now in front of Joshua. And they were going to take this city. And that's where we are. And so the pre-incarnate Christ, this being that Joshua, and this is where sometimes I think chapter titles do us a disservice a little bit, okay, because this is a story being told, Joshua chapter 5, Joshua chapter 6, the very next scene is now the instructions that Joshua receives, if you remember last week, the, uh, this pre-incarnate Christ says, hey, you're standing on holy ground, take your sandals off, you're on holy ground, and now he receives instruction on, on what they're, how they're to capture the city of Jericho, right? Now, can you imagine you're Joshua, okay? You've now been, in, you've given instruction on, on how to prepare for battle, and we talked about that in a funny way last week. If you missed that, get the CD, uh, you know, let's do it online. And, uh, but, but we talked about that, and now here come the instructions. Here's how you're going to take this great city. Now, can you imagine you're a warrior? Remember what Joshua said? I mean, Joshua approached this being like, like he was ready to go to battle. You force her against us, right? I mean, this is a warrior. Joshua's a man's man kind of thing. And, and so here's the instructions. You ready? Joshua, here's what I want you to do. All right? I want you to take the army followed by the Ark of the Covenant and the priests and the ram's horns. And for six days, I want you to march around the city of Jericho, its walls, once a day for six days. Okay? You know, can you see that? Okay, what next? Okay, day seven, what I want you to do is I want you to march around it six times, and on the seventh time, I want you to blow the ram's horns, and I want all the people to shout with a great shout. Okay, now what? You know, you got your sword ready, you're ready to go to work, and the walls will collapse, and you can take the city, right? That's the instructions. That's the instructions. And so that's the instructions that Joshua gets, Okay. And so that's where we kind of pick up in chapter 6, that Joshua's now received these instructions. And one of the things that you're going to see, kind of a common phrase through this passage, is the word devoted. This city of Jericho is to, is to be devoted to the Lord as an offering. It wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't to be plundered for the people themselves. All the rest of the promised land is set aside for them, but this is to be devoted and so let me pull a couple points out about being devoted. First of all, the people are devoted to obedience to the words of the Lord. 
These people are devoted to obedience. And church, I want, I want to encourage us, man, as, as we move forward as a church, and this sermon series was kind of birthed out of this idea of there's a lot of change, there's a lot of new things coming our way, and I want to encourage us as Christian men and women and young people that we be radically devoted to obedience to the words of God. This is not, like, the words of God are not mere suggestions that, hey, if it fits into your life or whatever, but we need to be radically obe- uh, devoted to obedience. And last week we talked about this as an act of worship. Don't leave here and go, man, Pastor John said be good. To be good as an act of worship because our hearts have been radically transformed by the gospel. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now, the gates of Jericho were tightly shut. Now, by the way, here again is one of these, these verses that... <clears throat> That we get insight, but the, pe- the, the, the characters in the story don't have the same insights, okay? We kind of get this insight of what God is up to. Now, the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I've given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors, and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days, seven Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times, and the priests blowing their horns. And when you hear the priests give a long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse, and all the people can charge straight ahead into the town. Joshua called together the priests and said, can you imagine? And the reason I put dot, dot, dot there is, and said, can you imagine the people? Now Joshua's got to take the plan of the Lord to the people. They're excited. They've just gone through minor surgery. Okay, they've healed up. They're ready to go. They're ready to go to war. And Joshua goes, it gets even crazier. Okay, guys, here's the plan, right? Here's the plan. And the people of Israel said, man, we've got to choose to radically obey. Here's this this strange military strategy. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, he's going to call you to things that require you to die to yourself and see the bigger picture of the kingdom of God. You're, You're going to be different. Your family, if you have unbelieving family, they're going to see your choices as different. Your, the, your friends that you run with, there's going to require that your lifestyle is different in order to obey the call of God. And if anybody asks you why, here's going to be your response. My heart has been captured by Jesus Christ. I now believe the Bible to be the word of God. And I believe he loves us. And I believe his words to be loving and true. And so to honor and worship him, I'm going to move, or I'm going to literally walk in obedience. I laugh because that's exactly what the people of Israel were called to do here, walk in obedience, right? To do what God had called them to do. And our lives should reflect an overflow of obedience. It's an overflow of worship that our hearts have been captured by Christ. I got, too, I, got, I got news for you. Too many Christians, man, we're... In this process of sanctification, we look so much like the rest of the world too often. It's just not a huge difference. 
and the people of God, and I, you know, I hear, I hear Marty kind of, mon- which is exactly the response I want us to have. If we're going to be the church that, that God wants us to be as the people of God, we've got to begin to ask forgiveness. Oh, God, convict us of our unrighteousness and our sin. Because the people that God can use are the people that say, you know what, as an overflow of worship, I'm going to obey our God in all things according to his word. We have to be serious about that. The people of God here are devoted to obedience. I want to encourage us as a church to be devoted to obedience. I could, there's a lot of ways I could illustrate this, but let me just ask you a question. How about you? How about you and your walk with Christ? Is your walk with Christ littered with obedience to the commands of the scriptures as you walk in faith as an overflow of worship? The second thing I want you to see here this morning is there's some things here in Jericho that are set aside or devoted to destruction. You ever thought about that? There's some things devoted to destruction. Joshua chapter 6, verse 16. The seventh time around, the priest sounded the long blast on their horns, and Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town, and Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others with her in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Do not take anything set apart for destruction, for you yourselves will be, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed. And you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. By the way, if you know your story of Joshua, what happens next, right? We're going to get into this next week. Chapter 7, somebody doesn't obey the commands of the Lord and does bring trouble on the entire camp, which I find fascinating. I find fascinating. You know, and it's another, it'll be another sermon, but let me just give you a little precursor. Like, we think sin only injures us, right? This only affects me. I mean, only I will know. Let me tell you something, sin spreads like a cancer. There are some things devoted to destruction. You know, as Christians, when we become followers of Jesus, the, we get a deposit of the third person of the Trinity in our hearts and lives, right? And the Holy Spirit is now molding us and shaping us to be more like Jesus Christ. Now, sin is still a part. We still have our flesh. Now, the Bible, what the Bible teaches on this kind of this now and not yet journey, where we're not yet home, in this now and yet not yet journey, before Christ, we're dead in sins. All we care about is self-serving. But after that, we're now kind of freed up, if you will, to do battle. So sin no longer reigns in us. And so we're now alive to walk according to the Spirit and walk towards victory. But make no mistake, we're in this in-between time. So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you are freed up to do battle. Check this out in Galatians <clears throat> chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do what is evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. By the way, this is... This is Romans 7 stuff, right? And if you don't know your Romans 7, and I was kind of reading through Romans 7 last night as I was preparing and and finalizing this sermon that, you know, the idea of Romans 7, I I don't do the things I know I should do, and I do the things I don't want to do. And then Paul kind of screams out, like, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God for son Jesus Christ. The answer is we are always focused on Christ, even in the process of our sanctification. You ever feel like that? You go home as a Christian, you're like, man, what is going on? What is this battle? Well, guess what? That's a good thing that you're freed up to battle. (laughs) Because before, you just didn't care. 
These two forces, Paul says, man, they're constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good instructions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality and impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. Now, is, now is Paul here teaching that we inherit the kingdom of God by being doing good and being good? And of course not, okay? He's saying this is an overflow. If the Spirit's in you, we're battling, we're moving towards righteousness, we're moving towards being Christ-like. But if this is what's dominating our lives, and, I, and my challenge to you would be this, if this is dominating your life, then we have to ask the question, are you really a Christian, because as a Christian, your heart and your affections change. As a Christian, your hearts and affections change. You begin to hate the things that God hates. You begin to love the things that God loves. And that should be an ongoing process for you that you're changing. Because there are, there are things that are devoted to destruction. Our flesh is now devoted to destruction. It's going to be destroyed. And God is molding us in the image of Christ. It's a great little story in the book of Numbers where the people of Israel being led by Moses are in the desert, okay? And they're heading towards the promised land. So this is pre-Joshua, right? And things get tough. And instead of looking ahead to the days that are coming, well, they'll be in heaven or they'll be in the promised land. And, and I talked about the week one of this series that our, our, our heaven, our, our promised land is our future heaven with our Lord Jesus Christ when our faith will be sight. Okay, so Numbers, the people are looking, instead of looking ahead to the promised land, they start looking back. And they start longing for the good old days. Man, I sure miss the good old days. You remember them good old days? You know, back in Egypt? I mean, you know, the slavery and all wasn't so great. But man, you know, do you, do you remember? And so in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4. It says, for the, uh, then the foreign rabble. So, there, so there's, and if you know your scriptures, there's some, uh, there's, some, there's some Egyptians that actually travel with the people of Israel, okay? And so, they're, and so they start um, stirring the pot a little bit. And so the rabble who were traveling with Israel began to crave the good things of Egypt. And guess what? Some people of Israel that bought into this thinking. And the people of Israel also began to complain, oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. Man, we remember the good old days. Man, we had fish we used to eat for free in Egypt and all the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the, oh, do you remember the garlic bread? We All that we wanted and now our appetite's gone. All we ever see is this manna, you know? I mean, they're just, they're sick of it, right? And by the way, you want to read a great text, you know, read the rest of that text. Because Moses goes to God and says, oh, God, thank you so much. I get to be the leader of the people. And I know we'll get this straight. No, Moses goes to God. He goes, did I give birth to these people? I don't even want them, you know, kind of thing. I mean, he's just at the end of it all, you know. I love this passage. 
But I think this is a great picture of what we do sometimes as Christians in the process of sanctification is we're looking towards heaven and God's got great things for us, you know, kind of our promised land. And sometimes we look back and we're like, man, do you remember the good old days when we used to fill in the blanks? And how quickly we forget, how quickly the people of Israel forget, man, they forgot that Egypt, man, they were crying out to God as the Egyptian slave masters were saying, we're going to double the amount of brick that you got to make, and we're not going to give you all the product you need to make it. You're on your own to find it. Things got really bad, and how quickly they forgot. And sometimes we, as followers of Jesus, we look back and go, man, remember the good old days when, and you fill in the blank, those were some great days. Man, when I ran into trouble, and instead of praying, man, I would just get drunk or indulge in addiction or sleep around or party hardy. And we forget what we forget in that is the shame and the lostness and the disillusionment and the brokenness. And we forget the, the, the outcome of serving those idols and how they enslave our hearts. And we forget what dark places they're in. And there are some things in our journey that are devoted to destruction, and one of them is our flesh. God is going to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Isn't that good news, by the way? The next thing we see things devoted, the next thing they devoted is the plunder. They devoted the plunder. The people of Israel devoted the plunder, the first fruits. Joshua chapter 6, verse 24. Then the Israelites, so the walls come tumbling down, the Israelites burn the town and everything in it. Verse 24. Only the things made from silver and gold and bronze and iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. This is a, a biblical principle found throughout Scripture. I've preached on this before, and it's the idea of, of being generous with your first fruits. And, and this, is, this thread goes all the way through Scripture, all the way to the New Testament. And, and the idea is when, when we receive something, we give our first fruits to the Lord as an act of worship. One of the things I often say here uh, at Coastal when we do our offering time, I say this is an act of worship. Coastal's not after people's money. I got news for you. God's not after your money. God doesn't need your money. I always say God's after a whole lot more than your money. He's after everything, Okay. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. My heart is captured with the kingdom of God and following our king, Jesus Christ. And part of that overflow is that the first fruits are devoted to the Lord. I know in my life what that means is the day I get paid, the very first thing I do is I give a tenth of that to my local church as an act of generosity. So I know that money doesn't go anywhere else. Hey, God, here's a first fruit offering as an act of worship. In fact, we see this in... in, in um, in Leviticus, it's really where Moses teaches on this to the peoples that go in the promised land of Leviticus. And by the way, here's a, a precursor, if you will, where Moses is teaching the people the idea of first fruits, and it finds its fulfillment when the nation goes into the, na the promised land and they come to Jericho. And this is the first fruits of plunder. In, in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 9, And the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land I'm giving you and you harvest its crops, bring the priests a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grains harvest. The idea here is the first fruits are an on an offering set apart to the Lord. 
Now, let me run this full circle because this is where it gets really cool, right? Because you think that this has to do with money. It's way bigger than money. Imagine this. Imagine if an offering is a step of faith that lets us understand that we understand that God is doing something way bigger than money. And he tells us as much in 1 Corinthians where Paul's talking about the resurrection because this is the greatest first fruit of it all. 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul says this, talking about the resurrection of Christ, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The what? What's it say? The first fruits of those who what? Have fallen asleep. Jesus is the first fruit offering of a great resurrection of you and I. Isn't that amazing? And we think this is about money. This isn't about money. Our money is an opportunity to show, hey, man, there's something bigger going on in the kingdom of God. And so when we, when we give an offering, it's, it's with the picture and the understanding that, man, the kingdom of God is doing something bigger than we can even imagine. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the first fruit offering of a great day of resurrection. I cannot wait. Praise you, Lord. How exciting is that? The fourth thing I want you to see about the things that are devoted. God is devoted here, and we see this in Joshua. God's devoted to his promises. God is devoted to his promises. Joshua chapter 6, verse 17 says this, Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. One thing wasn't destroyed. Anybody know what it was? You can already see it on the screen probably. What wasn't destroyed? Anybody? Rahab, right? Rahab. And we learned about that. Pastor Tony did a great job with that passage a couple weeks ago, right? And so Rahab was made a promise with that red scarlet thread that was run through her window. And so Jericho and everything else was completely destroyed and off <clears throat> as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and the others in her house will be spared for her um, for she protected the spies. Verse 23 of Joshua chapter 6. The men who had been spies, and by the way, I want you to see this theme throughout this text. Uh, the men who had been the spies in brought, brought, uh, brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all the other relatives who were, in, uh, who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. And then Joshua chapter 25. And this is a great passage, by the way, and I want you to really pick up on the end of this verse. So Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies of Joshua sent to Jericho. I want you to get this last line. And she lives among the Israelites to what? What's it say? To what? To this day. Why is that important? There's a couple reasons it's important. By the way, this is a side note. Another sermon for another day, but this is a very important kind of a by the way, okay? By the way, one of the great questions of this culture, and I, I've preached a whole sermon on this, okay? One of the big questions that gets asked in our culture is, how do we know that we can trust the Bible as the word of God, right? I mean, you guys are like basing your whole life on this thing as the word of God. One of the things that gives the, the Bible credibility and I don't have time to, to, build, to build the entire case here this morning. But one of the things that gives the Bible credibility it, it, is that it was written by multiple authors in multiple time periods with many eyewitnesses. And the authors oftentimes will dare us to go talk to the eyewitnesses. 
And so this passage was prob- probably written by Joshua, okay, while people are, he's, he's recording what happened towards the end of his life so that people will remember the movement of God. And he says, listen, by the way, as you're reading this, Rahab still lives among us today. You can go ask her. So I want you to think about two, uh, two weeks ago when Pastor Andrew preached about the Jordan River and how God shoved the Jordan River all the way up its banks so that the people could cross on dry land. He says, if you don't believe me, you can go ask some people. Fascinating, right? And by the way, the Apostle Paul does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15. Check this out. This is, this is very important to your understanding of the Scriptures. I passed on to you what was most important was also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures say. By the way, when Paul quotes the scriptures, what's he, t- what's he talking about? Anybody know? He's talking about the Old Testament. Those were his scriptures. The scriptures predicted the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He says, what I've learned, I pass on to you, Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. You hear the theme? Pounding the word of God. He was seen by Peter and the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. What is Paul doing? He's daring you to go ask the 500 people that Christ appeared to. Listen, there's eyewitnesses and stuff, and they're still alive. You can ask them. This is a, by the way, here in Joshua, Rahab still lives among us today. Pretty cool, isn't it? Hopefully that gives you some, a sense of security in the things that you're reading and you're believing. Now back to our story, okay? The reason we have strength and courage as we move forward as a church is not that we muster up our own strength. The reason we have strength and courage is because we worship and serve a God who is true to his promises. He promised Rahab and her family, anyone that was in her house where the scarlet thread was running through the, through the window, anybody there will be protected. And God was true to his promises. And he says, if you don't believe me, you can go ask Rahab because she lives among us. You know, she lives on First Street down on the right. All right, go ahead and ask her. God was true to his promises. And as we move forward as a church over the next couple months, and there's going to be some challenges along the way, our God is with us because he's true to his promises, because he's in charge of his church. He's going to see it through. He's going to protect it. He's going to lead it. He's going to provide for it. He's going to guide it. Isn't that good news? Pastor Andrew did a great job reminding us a couple weeks ago when he was talking about the building. He said, it's God's project. As a church, we move together in unity. We believe God's doing it. Jesus Christ is leading us. And, you know, we just got done preaching a series through Timothy because I wanted us to recognize this is how we structure and build a church because this is what God has said. And so because of that, God is leading his church through the person of Jesus Christ. He's going to take care of providing for it because he's good to his promises. Isn't that good news? Amen. And the gates of hell don't stand against it. The final thing I want you to see is this. This is less about a devoted, but just a final point I pulled out of this. It's the idea of favor. Divine favor. I think we lose the wonder sometimes of the power of the local church. It's a divine entity. You hear that? You're a part of a divine entity. And Joshua had favor. And Joshua was a type of Christ. 
And because he had the favor of the Lord, the fame of God spread throughout the land. Joshua 6, 27, so the Lord was with Joshua, and his reputation spread throughout the land. Now, Joshua was a representative of the power of the Lord, and through his devotion to the Lord, the fame of the Lord and the fame of Joshua sweeps the land. Now, let me run this through the New Testament, okay? Joshua is a type of Christ. And so when a church builds its foundation upon the word of God, the favor of the Lord is with that church. Now, let me run this through the New Testament. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. It's the final command of Christ to his disciples. He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. You hear that? This is Jesus. This is an authoritative statement. I've been given all authority. So because of that, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, and be sure of this, and be sure of this, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If God was true to his promises to Rahab, is he going to be true to his promises to his church? Amen. Yes. I mean, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And church, as we move and we move forward with what God is calling us to do, uh, the group of people that say, you know what, I'm devoting myself to, in obedience and in righteousness to, as, an, as an overflow of worship. I'm devoting myself to generosity. I'm devoting myself to the Great Commission to make sure we're, we're making sure that Jesus is made famous. I believe that church, Jesus would say, man, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Man, that excites me. You know, in American Christianity, um, there's tons of books written about this. I've read some of these. I, I, there's some that I even buy into in some ways. But the, we're, it's very clear that uh, through surveys and polls that when, when someone attends a church that's not a regular church attender in America, there's certain questions that they ask. These are the questions that, that most Americans ask when they attend a church. Man, did I find enough parking? That's the, one of the first questions that's asked. Man, did I, did I get an okay park? Did I have to park real far away? Did I have to walk? Did I find the building to be neat? Was it clean and straight? Did it look nice? Did someone make me feel, friend, feel welcome? Was it a friendly place when I, when I walked in the doors? And my children, did my children get checked in okay? Did that, that process go quickly and smoothly? And how about the morning service? Did the, did the Sunday morning service move kind of fast? I mean, did it have a good pace to it for me? You know, kind of felt like it was moving, right? And, and, and Americans, when they ch check out a church, they, they want to know if the bathrooms look okay. That's one of the big questions someone will ask. Do they look okay? They smell okay. And seating, like, did I have to sit too close to people? Was I kind of squished together? And how about the bulletin? Was it easy to read? And, and were there things in the bulletin that interested me? You know, did I find a few things that interested me? And how about the music? I mean, was it my style? And, you know, was it upbeat enough? And, and was I engaged with the music? And then there's the offering. Like, I wonder how the church is going to handle the offering. You know, am I going to make, is it going to be pressure? Is it going to be bastards? Is it going to be at the door? 
And then we ask about the preacher, you know, like, like, is he somebody I can relate to? And does he seem trustworthy? And does he seem smart? But, but at the same time, not be a know-it-all, you know? I mean, is he that kind of guy? Like, do I relate? And I want to I tell you, like, connected to the Great Commission, as long as we have a proper framework, I'm okay with some of these questions, but these questions are not the questions that a church should be asking in and of themselves, Let me tell you something. The church does not exist to make you feel better. Now, when we repent of our sin and get right with Christ, that sometimes makes us feel better, right? When you stop worrying about everything you're worried about, you come in here and you sing praises to God for a few minutes, and you, man, you're focused on Jesus through song, it makes you feel better. It's the natural overflow of doing what God has called us to do. That's not why the church exists. Church doesn't exist to pick you up when you're feeling down. Though it will do that from time to time. The goal of the church is to make disciples. Amen. The goal of the church is to make followers of Jesus Christ. Now, all these other questions that I just listed, those are questions we sometimes ask to make sure we're doing that effectively. I get that. And I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I want to be clear. The purpose of the church is to take the Great Commission seriously. To make disciples of all nations. Teaching them obedience as an overflow of worship to the gospel. Baptizing them. Growing them. And they should be reproducing themselves. The goal of the church is for people to be committed to following after Jesus Christ as an overflow of worship. They grow in obedience, they grow in knowledge, they're baptized, and they follow hard after Christ, and they reproduce themselves in discipleship. Here's the deal, church. I want to be a part of a group of people that are devoted to righteousness and obedience. I want to be a part of a group of people that are devoted to generosity I want to be a part of a group of people who are devoted to making Jesus famous by seeing individuals become disciples of Christ. And I believe that that church will be under the umbrella of the favor of God. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's be a people that are devoted. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the story of Jericho. And God, how through just simple, simple obedience, an entire city fell because you were in control. Heavenly Father, I pray for the people in this room this morning. I pray that we would be a people that are unified and devoted to the Great Commission. We're devoted to making Christ famous on our peninsula in our nation, and around the world. And as we lift up Jesus, we believe, we take you at your word, that you are with us always, even to the end of the age. Thank you for that hope, and thank you for that promise. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, church, this is our offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, don't feel an obligation to give. 
Uh, this service is our gift to you. Uh, what we'd love to have from you as a guest is on the side of that bulletin is a tear-off. And if you just fill it out and drop that in the offering basket, we want to send you a thank you card for coming. I want to show you a video clip this morning. This is of uh, Operation Christmas Child. Uh, before I show you this, I do want to let you know it's that time of year, man. We start gearing up for Christmas. And uh, if you and your family, we have several opportunities where you can serve children. You can serve children uh, here in our community through several of our ministries uh, by providing gifts for children through several of our ministries. You can provide gifts for children here in our church community. We have an opportunity for you to do that. And we have an opportunity for you to give gifts to children internationally through Operation Christmas Child. If you want more information about any of those on your way out, you can go to the missions kiosk and we'll give you information about how you and your family can be a part of that. Uh, but I want to educate you. This is Operation Christmas Child. Watch this. <clears throat> Christmas. Operation Christmas Child is one of the great stories that's unfolding in our lifetime. I want the children of the world to know, I want their parents to know that God loves them and He wants them to be with Him in heaven. That's what it's all about. Every single box is important because it connects two hearts, that of the person who packs the box and that of the child who receives it, a child in need of that love. When I look at these boxes, I just see thousands of smiling kids. Where appropriate, children who receive shoeboxes are invited to learn more about Jesus. We developed The Greatest Journey, a 12-week discipleship program for the kids that make decisions for Christ. Yo les voy a compartir lo que aprendí a mis amigas, a mi papá y a mi mamá. to give these children the opportunity to experience the love of Christ in a way that they've never experienced before in their lives. kids that have nothing. These gifts will mean everything in the world to these children. And we're going to give them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys are free to go. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Please do not forget about the kiosks in the back, the men's ministry, and the Operation Christmas Child.
It's alright, it's alright, it's alright Who the sun